Hey guys, if this is your first time tuning into the In The Band podcast, welcome. Thank you very much for checking this out. This is the second episode. Um, and if you listen from the first one, you know, maybe you gleaned some information about myself. But my friend Ari, who kind of helped me get this off of the ground, his podcast is Millennials Don't Suck, and it's really awesome. He kind of encouraged me to elaborate a little bit more about myself since I'm the guy that's talking right now so just to get this out of the way because I don't like doing this I'm a touring musician I talked about in the last episode but um, a little bit about my history I played music all throughout high school that turned into touring with my high school band called Chasing Kings that went on for several years and when I was 21 22 ish I started playing with a bunch more bands around Los Angeles Sago uh, is an awesome band. I loved playing with them, and I started playing with this band called The Moth and the Flame. I played with them for three, four years. I also ended up playing with this girl, Meg Myers. She's still around as well. Played guitar for her for a few years. I still kind of play with this group called Gold Room. It's in and out of, you know, touring cycles. Um, I play bass and keys for him. I've played with him for years. Most recently, I've been playing with AWOL Nation, the band with the big song sale for about a year and a half now and that kind of sums up you know without put sprinkling in all the little things that you do on the side that kind of sums up who i've really toured with in a bulk of time and finally that's out of the way okay on to stacy jones who this interview is with a really amazing dude my buddy isaac who's introduced me to a lot of musicians he plays drums for able nation turned me on to him and my mind was kind of blown. He's done everything, basically. Most recently, he does musical directing with everyone from Miley Cyrus to Matchbox 20, as well as having had his own bands that have reached massive success uh, in the decades prior. So it just kind of felt like an honor to meet someone who's the top tier of what they do. And he's a very excited person in general just in the way that he talks and communicates so it made it a pleasure however he held the mic so close to his mouth uh for a lot of this episode and i just i'm not a top tier engineer you know i engineer enough but uh there's a lot of hiss uh a lot of overdrive on the vocals for him and unfortunately i just kind of gave up on finding a solution for it after a while. It was too much of a headache, so you're just gonna have to deal with it. I'm sorry, but it's okay. Let it just be a novelty for this episode, and I hope you enjoy it still. All right. Well, so this is nice. I'm I'm in Stacy Jones Joneses 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, studio in Atwater Village. Thanks for having me come over here and talk to you for a it's little a bit. It's a pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Me me too. I can't complain. <laughs> We've just been catching up about uh, houses and neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Yes, set buying and selling and trying to avoid getting shot. Yeah, exactly. All, all the things <laughs> that you look for in a house. Exactly. <laughs> it's so just to start off, if I met you today, which I did. That's um, true. So who are you as a musician today? Like what is your role in the in the industry? That is a good question. Well, I wear a lot of hats as you do. Um I think if you're a a working musician these days, there's just so many you have a great head of hair. I don't know. Thank you. You don't so, have to cover it up. So, you know? yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm a drummer by trade. Mm -hmm. um, I came up in the 90s alt alternative scene playing drums. Um, end of the 90s, I started playing guitar and singing in a band. Did that in the 2000s for a bit. And I fell into this job, which is what I do now most of the time, mm -hmm. which is uh, musical director. And that was something I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was a job coming up. Yeah. Uh, so it was not. It wasn't like I was a kid, you know, listening to Motley Crue records at, at my house and playing along and going, I can't wait to grow up and be a musical director. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't something I yeah. was aware of. Um, and I just kind of fell into it. And now that's probably what I do eighty to eighty-five percent of the time now. 
which seems like an awesome job. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that position until probably a few years ago. Yeah. When some a musical director reached out to me about right. something, but you kind of I think you kind of become one when you're fronting a band or you have your own band. You you essentially take on that role. You just don't think of it as a they're just words that end up supplementing. It's a title, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a t- I mean as a I think as, one of the reasons I fell into it is because precisely that. I kind of was always doing it. Mm-hmm. Even as a drummer in bands coming up, I was always the one that was kind of scheduling rehearsals and making sure everyone was, you know, going to be there and getting things started and what songs are we doing and what you know. Yeah. So control freak is a good, you know, <laughs> good, that's a that's part of the job. Yeah. Um, well, someone has to step up and take on that role. Totally. You know, there's a vacuum for that role to exist in a band. It there needs to be is. there. There definitely is. And the other thing that you you know, as somebody that's in bands, and and I'm sure you you uh, will agree with this, it's hard. You have to have one person at there the end of the day. Has to be kind of a point person. where the buck stops, because yeah. otherwise, you know, in a, if it's a true democracy. If you get if you're a four person band and it's two against two, you're gonna get democracies stuck all are the time. slow. They move <laughs> they really very are. slow. They really yeah. are. There needs to be someone steering the ship a lot of the time. And I'll tell you, one of the things I've learned, um, this is you know because I've been doing this for thirteen, fourteen years now as mm-hmm. an MD. Sometimes just being just making a decision, even if it's the wrong one, is what you have to do to keep the thing going. I completely agree. I mean, and wait, you'll figure it out. Even outside of just like a band in the studio, that applies to life. I think it's true. I'd, you can sit around with indecision will kill you, totally. but the wrong decision will just teach you. Exactly, yeah. and you yeah, exactly. You, you 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 know, especially if I'm if I'm on one of these big pop tours that that I do, I'm you know there are actual department heads. You know, I'm the head of the music department ostensibly, mm-hmm. and then you know there's an LD, there's a creative director, there's management, there's an artist, there's a choreographer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a zillion people, and you know it'll it'll there'll be situations where there's 150 people waiting for me to make a decision. Yeah, and so sometimes you just have to pull the trigger and say, okay, we're going to do this, and. If you find out 10 minutes later it was the wrong decision, at least, you know, the train is still moving down the track. Yeah. And then you can reconfigure. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you adjust from there. Exactly. I mean, it sounds like a, a fun job in terms of, like, you extensively just – instead of taking the time where, like, you know, when you play with a band, it's like you play with them for maybe a year or two years sometimes or a whole tour cycle. But you get to kind of, like, get the experience of working with a band – and then just move on immediately from getting them set up if you're not touring with them. Right? It's true. So there are some artists that I play drums in and am the musical director. Yeah. Miley is one of them. I've been with her since she was Hannah Montana, 12 years old. And oh, I didn't know you've been doing it for that long. Yeah. Yeah, that she was my first like real big pop sort of MD job. So when she goes out, you're drumming for her. I do. 98% of the time. Okay. Um last year you know, I'm a, I'm a dad now. I have a two-year-old son, and so when we, when my wife and I decided to to have a kid, I had already been doing this musical director thing where I don't play in the band for yeah. for a bunch of artists, and I made a concerted effort to get more jobs like that, mm-hmm. so that I could be home more. Um, yeah. So my, but but Miley, I'll still I'll still play with her as you know when she tours. Last year. One of the other artists that I tour with still is Matchbox 20. I play drums for them when they tour. And so last year I had already committed to doing a Matchbox 20 tour and Miley decided to do some stuff. So I was able to get her band together, get the show up and running. I played drums on a good chunk of the the beginning, you know, did mm-hmm. all the TV shows and some award yeah. shows and things like that. And then I handed it off to my homie, Adam. And I went out with Matchbox, and he continued on with Miley. And then I sort of jumped back and forth um, when I was free yeah. or just consulted with the MD that I put in the band while I was gone um, on what we were going to do you know, for moving yeah. forward with her. I mean, that's that demands a good amount of trust <laughs> to be able to go switch in and out of those things. But it I does. Guess I'm very if, fortunate yeah, that she allows me to do that. If they have faith in you to be a musical director – to be like, I'm going to leave and it's all going to be good. You know, like 
Just don't even worry about it. I have it covered. So yeah, that's a cool. That's a great spot in a career. It is. To. It is not. It's a nice place to be. And you know, the thing that I always do when I'm putting a band together for an artist that I know that I'm not going to perform with, mm -hmm. I always hire somebody in the band and determine that they're going to be the musical director once I'm gone. Yeah. And then typically that you know that that they'll consult with me. When something comes up, like Troy Savon is one of my clients. I've mm -hmm. been with him since day one. And we just did radio, he just did Radio City Music Hall the other night, and we had a bunch of guests come up, and we had a string section come in. And so this was all stuff that I was able to put together sort of on the periphery and then consult with Karina, who's the MD that is playing keyboards and is in his band right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's great, and I trust her implicitly. So, you know, when I have a situation like that, it's it's easy for me to do it from afar, yeah. which is nice. And then, you know, I'll still show up and for certain things when he does TV or, you know, I'm going to five seconds of summer is one of my clients. I'm going to go see them tonight. They're playing at the Greek. Um, I went with them. Typically, I'll go with an artist when we'll do all the rehearsing in L.A. and whatever we're doing. And then mm -hmm. we'll either do production rehearsals here or maybe go to. Like for Troy, we just went to Dallas for a week to do production rehearsals, and then that was the first night of the tour. So, you know, I brought my whole family, actually, oh, to that's, Dallas. that's fun. Which is great. My parents came down because they only live like four hours from there. So um, so we spent a week in Dallas putting his tour together, and then I stayed for the first night, and, you know, knock on wood, everything goes well, yeah. I go home. Yeah, send them off. And send them yeah. off. Exactly. Wow, that's awesome. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that's it's a, great... a great gig, and it's, it's really fun, you know— you know, I kind of fell into it coming from band world and being and producing bands, you yeah. know, studio recordings, and essentially being a musical director is is producing the live show. Yeah, it's the same thing, just applying it to the live. Exactly. Which can have obviously way different elements, but totally different elements. Yeah. But similar kind of Skill approach set. in a yeah. way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a pretty fun job, I have to admit. And I mean, it, obviously, a, having a kid will change the way you look at touring. I mean, totally. I have a lot of friends who have kids, and it's always that adds. I mean, for very obvious reasons, a lot of elements to leaving them. But the one thing yeah. I've consistently heard too is, it's almost like not as hard the first couple of years that they're there, only because like it's more there's there's like maintenance, but it's yep. mainly maintenance. Yep. And then they start to become a person and then you start missing out on them. Oh yeah. And I've seen this firsthand when, when the kid is old enough to say, daddy, I don't want you to go. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> like, it's, it's just great. I've seen that so many times with my friends, you know, we'll be sitting on a, on the, we, you know, we all pile on the tour bus at the sportsman's yeah. lodge and we're getting ready to take yeah. off. The good and old you look out the window lodge. and you know, your friend is there hugging their five-year-old and the five-year-old is crying and saying, yeah. mommy or daddy, I don't want you to go. I mean, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. You know, one of the one of the nice things about the two camps that I'm really touring with right now, Miley or Matchbox, very family-friendly, tons of kids around. Yeah. You know, all the wives are friends. I know, you know, all the kids are friends. So, um, so last year when I was on tour with Matchbox last summer, my family was out. 50% of the tour probably. That's so cool to be and able to have And we have tons that. of days off. And so, you know, I can always fly home or fly them out yeah. just to a city even for four or five days. Um, so it's really, that's also makes it a lot easier. Yeah. There's no way, there's no way I'm jumping on a, on an 18 month tour now. Yeah. Just, I just can't do it. Yeah. Joining an album cycle like yeah, that. Can't do it. Yeah. I mean, my, my buddy who plays guitar in Wall Nation, he, his dad, is do you know Jack Irons? Yeah, of course. So he, he, it's Jack Irons' son is a guitar player. So oh, that's awesome. We grew up together, um, and I, he, Zach would always talk about or show me photos of when he was like a very very young kid, because the whole family traveled with Pearl Jam. Right. And there's like photos of him and his family just all over like Europe yeah. on these big tours. Yeah. And I just can't imagine growing like he spent so much time on the road like yeah. homeschooled the whole yeah the whole way yeah. Like, to do it for like a full album cycle, that's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. But what is like, what is a typical day with your family on tour like? Well, like you guys are just in a hotel room. It depends. Yeah. So, like last year when it was Matchbox, you know, the, the great thing about Matchbox is 
you know, they, they travel in total style. I'm on a bus with two other guys. That's it. Okay. So we have the giant tour bus to ourselves, which is great. Um, lots of days off, nice hotels, hotels every day. Yeah. So it's pretty comfy. So, and so there's room for your family on the bus? There's room for fam, fam on the bus. And, you know, if we pull into a venue, if we wake up at a venue and it's, you know, my kid's waking up at like six in the morning, mm-hmm. I get off the bus, we go inside, you know, try not to get killed by the loaders, like setting the stage <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, make coffee, go, get coffee from catering, go to the dressing room, hang out, see what's going on. Um, you know, just kind of a typical same thing that I would do here. Except we're just, you know, in a, in a prop, in some kind of yeah. shed or arena, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, you try to, you try to keep things consistent that, you know, that like my yeah, son so is on structure a, to the totally, day. Yeah. My son is on a very strict schedule here, wakes up, we do, you know, breakfast and then go to gym class or music class or whatever, mm-hmm. go to a thing, bring him home, takes a nap. Wakes up because well, he's two. He's only he's, two now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we did the same thing on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, we had I set up a um, I set up a crib in one of the bunks. You know, we had condo bunks, big yeah. bunks. So I was able to put his crib in. You the could bunk. fit it in the condo. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, it was like okay, it's nap time, and like the other guys that are on the bus with me are also dads. Yeah. And so they're like, cool. It's nap time and everyone's quiet and you know yeah that's awesome kid gets to take a nap I mean I listen it's I'm very fortunate to yeah that's a great be with situation such great people like that and you know um, to have that level of understanding yeah you know was pretty remarkable I tell you what there's still you know even now when I even if I'm in whatever bus I'm in when I climb in that bunk and slide my curtain closed and you know, get under the covers and have the AC just cranking so it's freezing. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, there's. it's very like, I've, you know, I've been on the road for 25 years. Yeah. I've never done anything else. Yeah. So, um, you know, for, for, for a job. So it's like there's a part like that's so comforting to me. And I do miss that. In fact, um, I went up to Toronto for a five seconds show. We did Much Music Awards and then they had a show up there. And I just got on their bus you know, just to hang out between soundcheck and the gig. Mm-hmm. And just that, you know, the hum of the generator and the smell of the bus, just, you know, it it's so, it's so familiar yeah. to me. And by the way, I know that I'm so fortunate to say that and not have it be like an Econoline 15 passenger yeah. van that feels really <laughs> like, home, like home, like the norm. Yeah. Like, cause that's, you know, I did that. I mean, I did that, yeah. but it's been a long time since I've done a tour like that. So, uh, so I, I know that I'm very fortunate to be able to, to say that tour buses feel comfortable yeah, <laughs> and homey. Well, and it's, I don't take that for granted. <laughs> yeah. It is hard to go back. I think like when you get used oh my to, God. I don't think I could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to do some shows. Um, so my band letters to Cleo, I'm the, I was the drummer in letters to Cleo early nineties. Mm-hmm. That was my first band that ever, did anything how you old know, were you when that 20 started? probably 22 okay something like that um i'm 47 now okay so letters to cleo was my first band that ever had a song on the radio was on mtv did real tours first 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 everything first tv show first tour bus first like sold out concert yeah. first time on the radio everything it's great um it's like your high school sweetheart totally. about the band. yes absolutely so we're gonna do we do shows now every year Around Thanksgiving, we do New York and and Boston, and you know this year we're going to do yeah. Philly, but and American Hi-Fi is actually opening this year. So, um, but even doing those shows every year that we do, we'll fly to New York or Boston wherever mm-hmm. we're playing first, and then you know take a Sprinter van from New York to to Boston. And even that is like when I do that, I'm like, this is really fun. One day of this is all I can take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. This is. Yeah. I don't want to spend three weeks in this thing. Yeah, like I just can't do it anymore. I'm spoiled. Yeah, I'm old and spoiled. Well, I think the uh, I'm 27, but it's like still the difference from 21 to 27. Not just in what I feel like I want, but in like the treatment that I've gotten increased from there. Yeah, it's like well, I don't. Like I think about my band that I that I have like as kind of a side project or main project of my own, and launching that and doing like van tours now I'm like fuck that it, 
sounds like a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> and, you know, you, I still romanticize it, you know, because I think about, you know, those all those hours I spent in a van, you know, just driving down the highway with my headphones on, listening to, like, whatever I was into at the time, mm-hmm. and watching the road go by. And that's – it was a great experience and um, and really helped form – who I am yeah. today, but and you you the you bond a lot harder totally. in those circumstances and you, you, totally you have to overcome a lot more. You do because you're you're wearing many hats. You do, <laughs> and and you're driving through the night and everyone's taking shifts and you know we hit a deer one night and almost Jesus. died in a van and the thing you know the trailer um, fish fishtailed on us and we almost flipped i mean you know so you have things things that you experience yeah. like that are very very bonding yeah um but so so there is a like i still i still can look back at those times and and see them very very vividly and and remember them very fondly but as a 47 year old dad I'm not. I don't want to get yeah, in a van again. Yeah, it's an, enough is enough. <laughs> you know, I'm, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would di- if you know if um, if Mike Ness called me and was like, "Hey, I need you to sit in with Social D for a week, and we're doing a van tour." I'd be like, "Sure, I'm there." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. Yeah, but you know, barring that, I'm not. I don't think I'm doing it. And I and again, I don't mean I don't want that. I don't want to sound like a dick. Oh no! When I say that, like I'm, I know how fortunate I am to be able to say I'm not doing van tours anymore. Yeah, like, well, there's a lot of people that just in general just don't even want to tour anymore. Right? No, <laughs> so, that's I mean, true. Yeah, so, it's true. I it's mean, a t- listen, it's a tough life. I mean, it yeah. can be a tough life. And again, I have, you know, for eighty percent of my touring life, I've been in a bus. I've been in decent hotel rooms. Yeah, I've been making decent money. Um, so again, I I'm I feel very fortunate about that. That but can't even, compensate for the time lost at home. Yeah, though. even that level, you know, even the highest level of touring that you can do, can still be a grind. Yeah, and especially especially when you have a family, and it's you know it's not for everybody. Yeah, it's definitely not for everybody. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people just be like, I'm you know. This is cool, but I'm not going to do this anymore. Me too. Yeah. I have I've hired guys, you know, that move the younger guys that had come to LA to be touring musicians, and they do, you know, six six weeks of touring, and then take a break, and then jump on another one, and then they call me and say, "Hey, I'm I'm out." Wow. Yeah. You know, like, it's just not you know. It's, yeah. Is that something that you look for, and when you hire people, like? It, how, how, how long have they been touring? So I know they're not just Definitely. gonna like break early on. Definitely. I mean, experience is a huge thing for for me because most of the acts that I work with are pretty marquee acts. Yeah. So so you can't just be someone who's like, like not that like this might sound negative, but someone that there's probably like a level of excitement that's probably too much. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, but, like, it's like okay, it's a job. Like <laughs> it is, right? But I will say, I mean, I have taken, an, you know, I don't want to say taken a chance. I have hired some people that were younger, that didn't have quite as much experience as maybe everyone else in the band. Mm-hmm. But I saw something in them, yeah. And for the most part, uh, it has paid off. And yeah. you know, they've been f- fantastic, you know, band members and people that I've now con- they're now part of my first call list yeah so you know it's it's not always experience um sometimes just having the right attitude and me just getting a vibe from somebody is 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 important because you know as being being on the road you you have to be a good hang you have to be a good hang that i that's the thing like you can someone can be better at the job. Absolutely. I I I equate it to like engineers and studios. Totally. Where like you could be the best engineer, but if you suck to be around, yeah. you're just really negative. Yeah. You're not gonna get the work. Definitely not. But someone who can do the job, like just do the job right, but is like just super easy and cool to be around, yeah. they're gonna get the job. And and especially in it's my a, world, it's a social job in a way. It totally is. And Especially if you're a hired gun guy, yeah. you know if you're a, if you're a band member, if you've got like six yeah, people, people in have the band, to walk around your personality. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But if you're if you're being paid to be there by an artist, yeah, you've got to be a good hang. Yeah, that's just that's 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 it. So yeah, 
like a lot of a lot of people will get the job. There there are people there are definitely people who are maybe they can play somewhat better. Mm-hmm. But if their if their personality or their attitude don't fit that particular gig, they're they're not going to get it. Yeah. So 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 having when that weirdly enough, I forget what friend it was. He got offered like a really awesome gig as drumming, and then it came down to like he didn't have enough tattoos. That's funny. And he was like, oh, "What? That's <laughs> I need to cover myself in tattoos. So yeah. That's just the look we want, man." Yeah. I mean, listen, and I get that too. Yeah. I get that. You know, people. Well, if it's if it's you're putting on a show, right? So you have to fit the act. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, look is important. Attitude is important, and then playing is probably like thirty, forty percent of it. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Especially on a lot of these pop gigs, it's not. You know, it's not. You're not going up there and playing Mahavishnu Orchestra shit. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's pop music. Yeah. So you have to have a good pocket. And you have to be consistent. Generally, that's yeah, you have what to be reliable. For. Very, yeah. you have to be reliable, consistent. You have to have a good feel. You don't, you know, you don't have to be a shredder. Yeah, not most of the guys that I hire are not like shredder players. Yeah, but they're just really good, solid. The tones are great. You know what I mean? Yeah, feel is great. They don't overplay. They know they know how to just kind of fit in to yeah. the situation. And the... when called upon, like, hey. Can you take a solo here? Yeah, they can. Yeah. You know, so yeah, being a, a, a prodigy is not necessarily what I look for. Yeah. Especially if you're an asshole. Or... <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. The, I'm very, I'm really, again, fortunate to say all the artists that, that I work with, people that are my clients as a musical mm-hmm. director, none of them are assholes. And they're all really good, great people. And so it's on me to make sure that I surround them with, with good, people like great that. people. Yeah. Well, and that's the weird thing. I mean, it, I've heard you hear so many stories of like the golden age of rock and roll and personalities being humongous um, and egos. But I think something must have slowly happened as time has gone on because I think it's just a lot harder to make it in this industry. It is. And. I think you have to put your ego in the back seat a lot more now. You do. So, like, you know, there's not as much drug abuse that I witness. Yep. There's uh, people are just like, are just more excited to be able to do it. Yep. So, yep. yeah. There's just... still assholes. Let's just be clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had to deal with a few yeah. recently. Well, no names will be mentioned. <laughs> well, I one of the biggest learning lessons I ever had is I auditioned to play with this band. And they, I had the gig. They offered it to me. There was going to be touring in the fall. I wasn't looking for anything else because of that. And then, like, they announced dates, and I emailed the manager. Like, I saw these dates are announced. Like, what's going on? When are we going to start rehearsing? And he was like, we're going to use this other guy. And it was, like, two weeks out. Right. And I wrote this whole long email. Like, this is kind of bullshit. I haven't. I haven't been looking for work. I haven't been doing planning for anything for the fall for this. And now you're, you you didn't even. I've been emailing you like every two weeks, and you've right. just been like leading me on. And I don't know. And I was really mad. I read the email. I deleted it, and then just wrote like, "I totally understand. I wish you guys the best of luck. Like, love, Mike." Yeah. And then two weeks later, he called me and was like, dude, can you do it? You were just so cool, and we felt so bad, but thank you for being so understanding. And I was like, of course. Yeah, great. (laughs) And it was such a massive learning lesson of, like, I have to do what's best for me, even if that means, like, just also just extending understanding to everybody around me. And not making assumptions, like, because that... Yeah, everyone's doing their own thing. No, that's a, that is a very evolved position for you to take. And it's taken me forty plus years to figure that out because I, I you know, there have been I, I can run pretty hot yeah. sometimes, especially in my twenties I did. And, you know, even now, like there'll be times where like some some bullshit will happen and I'll just I'll be at the end of my rope and I'll be typing this email just like yeah. fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then I do the same thing. I like look at it or I'll show it to my wife and she'll say, "Don't send that." Yeah. But does it help you? No, of course it's it not going to help of you. Of course it doesn't. You're Here, stepping on your own foot. You are. Here's the deal. You can't be a pushover. You have to stand up for yourself. But I think the most important thing that you said, which I am going to remember and 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 take as a as a lesson, 
extending that understanding because you never know. You, you, like you said, making assumptions based on an email or a text or a phone call or whatever, you know, if you don't have all the information, you you really could be yeah, shooting yourself in the foot. And that's another thing I've learned being a dad. I'm so less judgmental of people just in life when I'm walking down yeah. the street or when I see people. You just never know what people are going through. What 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 they what they just came from. You just never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I used to be totally judgy and really, really quick to write people off. And, um, and I think that's, that's something that as you get older, you, you get better at. So the fact that you're already coming around to that at 27 <laughs> is great. I don't know what I, I think I just read the email and was like, this, I'm just, I'm never going to talk to these people again if I send this email. Right. It's like, it's two things. It's, it's being understanding and also in a healthy way doing what's best for you because I think a lot of people don't can get that wrong like, right like what is best for me and it's like I'm angry what feels best to me is to yell at somebody right. or you know there's cash right there I'm gonna steal it because then I have more money right but that's not what's best for you in a week that's right or, or in a month or that's a right. year and that is a very evolved position so congratulations thank you <laughs> <laughs> I congratulate uh, you sir but that's always the th and so when you work with new people it's always exciting to kind of be like how how am i going to negotiate this relationship right you know how am i going to work around the, right. what 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 what's the common ground that we can find right to develop a relationship and i think the the other thing that i've that i have really you know I, it's so funny i i read this like maybe like a fuck jerry post or beige cardigan post or something recently where someone was i i i'm going to fuck it up but it's basically like they were talking about like the taking a shower and like the arguments and the fights that they have in their oh, head, yeah. like while they're in the shower. You come that, up with the best comebacks. That will in the never shower. happen in <laughs> yeah. life, you know. Like I yeah. was like, oh my god, that's totally me. Like you think about what they're saying to you, and you have the best comeback, and then they fall right into your I trap. I just make up these scenarios. Like I'll send an email, and I'll be like, oh man, this guy, I, he's gonna write me back, and I know what he's gonna say. And so then I get in the shower, and I'm playing out this whole you know, event that's yeah. going to happen where I have this like screaming match with him. And then I go to my computer when I get out of the shower and the email's back and it's like, oh yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Stacy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, so you have to, uh, I think that's the Irish blood in me also. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think I, it's a little bit in my DNA to just like jump, snap judgment on people. And uh, I'm trying not to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, that was, I played in a band of, um, was, everyone in the band was Mormon. It was three Mormon guys and yeah. me. And that was, I would have like amazing conversations with, especially the keyboard players, just a really awesome dude. And we would have, we would do like late night drives. And, you know, I always think it's a good rule when you're doing an overnight drive, there's got to be a co-pilot that stays up. Because it's really dangerous if Definitely. it's just one person. And, uh. We'd always stay up and have the best conversations because I'm not a religious person at all. But, you know, there's always the, uh, what is it? The spirit of the law and the letter of the law kind of a thing. And we would talk about the spirit of the law in Mormonism. And uh, I don't even know what that is. Like, what's like, the spirit of the law? Oh, well, so think about it this way. Like, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law in our laws and society. So the spirit of the law of the stop sign is like, so cars don't crash into each other. The letter of the law would be like, you didn't come to a complete stop um, before it. you went, I'm going to write you a ticket. Got Versus it. the spirit of the law is like, you saw that you weren't going to hit anybody, and then you went. Got That's it. why the law was put in place. Got it. And so you have things like in Mormonism where the letter of the law it would be, you can't drink any alcohol or any... Um, any caffeine, any hot caffeinated beverages, because as a blanket statement, it's not good for you. But then you think about like, well, a glass of wine, a red wine is proven to be good for heart health Right. if you were to have one in a night. So in the spirit of the law, it would make sense to be able to have maybe actually coffee now or uh, a glass of wine, but the letter of the law is that you can't. Right. And so if when you analyze a lot of like religious texts and laws – if you, a lot of them have a really beautiful spirit of the law, and a lot, and the letter of the law can become very corrupted very easily. Yeah, sure. If you have people doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, or the wrong thing for the right reasons, essentially. Copy that. Yep. So, but anyway, like, 
I know a lot of religions are like this, but especially in Mormonism, I think there's a much, much more importance. There's a lot more emphasis on no, not judging other people because it's not like God has the power to judge, not us. Like, who am I to judge anybody else? And I hadn't like thought about it in such detail. And uh, that's been something I've been trying to apply to my life yeah. intensely because although I don't, I'm not Mormon or I don't, I'm not religious that is very valuable yeah because the the truth in that is like no one has the right to really judge anybody else it's so easy it's so and it's like it's like candy it's yeah <laughs> it and you do it subconsciously all yeah, the time sure. and there are obviously healthy ways of judging somebody if a guy has a gun yeah he's pointed at you can yeah. judge that he's dangerous you <laughs> yeah, turn away absolutely. um but no that's you are a uh, way more thoughtful person than i was when i was your age <laughs> yeah, thank that's you great thank yeah. you yeah. <laughs> i appreciate that you got it I think that stuff also helps with touring, but yeah, oh, in yeah. terms of like touring with other people. But it also it's I don't know if you've had experiences like this, but if you're around a, you can only also be as good as you can be as a person. But sometimes if you're around people that aren't even bad people, they could be great, but you just don't connect, and there's not like a a family vibe. Like we're all in this together. Yep, that can be really isolating. Yeah. I've I've dealt with that. It just feels oh, yeah. so isolating on tour. Yeah, and that's made me think like maybe I don't want to tour. Yeah, anymore. sure. I've, I've, done, I've been in situations like that where if I, I was a hired gun on just like a shorter thing or, yeah. you know, a quick trip or something and you're all of a sudden you're in, you know, sitting in a hotel room in Tokyo by yourself because yeah. you were with people that, you know, are not totally your people. Yeah. But it was a good gig and a good job or whatever yeah. it was. That can be so isolating. Yeah. And factor in the jet lag and, you know, you're in a weird country. I'm not saying... Japan is a weird country. I'm just saying you're in a you're in a strange environment. Yeah, yeah. You're in a strange land. You're far from home. You're far from home. You're with people that don't feel like family. You're jet lagged. Maybe you're a little hungover or something because you went out the night before. Yeah. And you know that. I mean, talk about like anxiety inducing. You know. Yeah. It can really it can really conjure up. You oh know, yeah. Some serious triggers. And I've been there. Totally yeah. been there. Yeah, I can trace my professional career to one very de defining moment, and I actually just saw this guy recently um, in New York. So I went to Berkeley for co for college. Oh yeah, uh, in Boston, and like first week of school, I was down in one of the drum practice rooms in the in the school. And they had these like glass doors. Mm -hmm. So we used to put our drum kits in and then our back would be to the glass door behind us. There were these tiny little sheds. Yeah, I did the I did the five week music okay, program nice. when yeah, I was like fifteen too. there. I did the five week So in the too. dorms they have those little practice rooms. Exactly. So, that's what you're so these about? were the ones in the one fifty building downstairs. Okay, yeah. And so I had a I had a space and I was in there playing. I get this knock on the door and I turn around and this guy's like, Hey man, you sound really good. You got a you know, you got a great feel. What's your name? And I introduced myself. And he was like, my name's Abe. So this this is my friend Abe who plays drums for Paul McCartney now. And wow. So yeah, and his dad is a famous bass player as well. And he's a phenomenal drummer, like incredible drummer, incredible guy. So he, long story short, he was playing drums in Letters to Cleo. So he and I becoming friends at that moment and, have, and are still friends to this day. Um, but that, that one moment really defined my entire career because I can trace, basically Abe was playing drums and letters to Cleo. Mm -hmm. They were just a local Boston band. I had gone on the road with this like rock reggae band mm -hmm. that was kind of like, you know, Fishbone or 311 or something like that. That was actually my first paying gig. Okay. Um, you know, making money, playing drums. And I had come back. This is while you were in college? This is, yeah. I actually had left school. Okay. I, I was at Berkeley for three years, and then I got this gig and split. And I'd come back from a, a, a leg of touring, and I was considering leaving this band. And I met Abe for lunch, and he said, hey, I'm getting ready to go on tour with Steve Vai. He had just gotten the wow. gig with Steve Vai. And he said, you remember that band Letters to Cleo I've been playing in? And I was like, yeah, because we had actually done shows together with the band I was in. you know, And they were just a local Boston band playing mm -hmm. to 40 people a night on a Tuesday, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go do the Steve I thing. I'm going to recommend you for this band. I think you're the right guy for it. And I was like, 
Great. So I auditioned, got the gig, and literally everything that you know I have done in my life and career it just has been an from offshoot that? of that. Yeah, wow. everything. I've just kind of bounced around, you know, mm-hmm. from that starting point. And so, you know, that's that's one of those things where, yeah. like, I can clearly point to that one moment. Yeah, that led you and yeah, say, down the path. That was that started my path, yeah. I mean, and, and granted, you could go back even further. You could go back to when you're three years old, you know, yeah. and listening to the Beatles. Yeah. But... But as an adult and just kind of as my career, I can really look at that moment and say... It was a very defining... It was very defining. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Ah, that's very cool. Yeah. And a cool friend to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best. I got to I got to chat with Paul McCartney last week. Wow. Like 15 minutes. Just like literally Paul engaging with me in the hallway of uh, The Tonight Show. And I've met him a few times... And, but this was the, this was the one time he was like asking about my kid and he's like, oh yeah, you're the, you're the musical director. I, I yeah. remember, you know, like, it's just a legit, he, like a legitimate conversation. I don't know if he really remembered me or if he was just being polite, but yeah. like, you know, it was just like one of those moments where afterwards I was with a buddy of mine and my, my friend was like, you know, you just talked to McCartney for like 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Like just the two of you basically. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. That's Is pretty that- crazy. How often is are there? Do you have moments where it's like, wow, I just like I did do I did do that on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, I mean, all the time. Which I don't, is, I don't take this for granted. It at would all. be awful to reach a point where you're like, that's just what life is. Now, yeah, no, you know? definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, you know, there's certain things that are um, that j- again feel comfortable and normal. Mm-hmm. You know, but. But always, I'm always in a position where I'm like, I can't believe yeah. like I'm doing Saturday Night Live for the sixth time or yeah. whatever, seven times, you know, whatever, yeah. it's, whatever show. You know, the the fact that I know all the people at like Jimmy Fallon, Tonight Show, Ellen, yeah, um, Colbert, you know, like, yeah, I know all these people now. I know the stage managers. I know the mixers yeah. in the broadcast booth. You know, I go to the Today Show and I know. 90% of the crew there. It's just, it's so yeah. weird. It's such a, in, that that's what I do now. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, 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 I think about that all the time. When I got to imagine it comes from, I think when people are like prolific in their career in terms of like consistently doing stuff, working with lots of different people, there has to be some foundation of like obsessiveness with music. Isaac is a good example, which we haven't talked about this, but you know, I got your information through Isaac. Yeah, I love it. Uh, once again. Yeah. But, he, Sounds like, like he's getting a lot of props on this podcast. Yeah, he's going to be. Yeah, he's very helpful. Um, hopefully, he's a one, connector. Yeah, he's a connector. Yeah, but that, but it's like him. It's like other people that are just obsessed with music that just like refuse to stop being obsessed with it. Yeah. Too. So everything is exciting. When everything's exciting, you do more exciting things. It's true. And I'll tell you one thing that I think is interesting is, in terms of like being obsessed with music. I, I think I'm less obsessed with music now than I was when I was 27. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't listen to music as much for for fun. Yeah. Um, when I'm in the car, I listen to NPR. Yeah. When I'm at home, I listen to like we're listening to like kids' records right now. Yeah. That that's the. <laughs> Although Best Coast has a really badass um, kids album. Oh really? Yeah. It's awesome. That's really yeah, she cool. She made a really, really cool kids record. I bet there's a lot of people that are like, "Thank you." It's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. It's the greatest. I love it. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it sounds totally like '90s. Um, my uncle's constantly like, "Yeah, I know a lot of these songs because of Kids Bop. They're still making Kids yeah. Bop." <laughs> <laughs> I know it's true. It's true. I got asked to MD a Kids Bop tour. No way. A few years back. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't able to do it, but I was going to do it. Yeah. I was like, Wait, if that came around again, would you be stoked to do that for, for your kid? Definitely. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, I get called for like the most random things. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things, so so to my point about I'm not as obsessed with like music as I used to. I'm not as like analytical. I used to like sit down and try to analyze. Like I remember charting out every Weezer song ever. Yeah. Right? And I was like, I want to know. If what rivers like if he has a pattern that he falls into what what pro- chord progressions does he use yeah. the most what what's the relationship between 
his melodies and the chords underneath them. You know, mm-hmm. like I mean, I I did yeah, I, I really analyzing it. Yeah, big time analysis. And granted, I don't have time to do that now. So that's yeah. that was, that's one thing. But what I do have time to do now, and what I am obsessed with is taking on new challenges or doing things like a kids bop tour or you know a tv show you know i've been asked to do um uh like you know or scoring for 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 a movie or scoring for a tv show Mm. or you know things like that so now i'm sort of obsessed with pushing the boundaries of what this musical director job is yeah that's what excites me now it's like okay what else can i do what's you know what what's different and you know one of the big challenges just personally that i had in in the last few years was when the chain smokers called me to be their musical director mm-hmm. but this was before you know they'd never played a show ever and the guys were dj you know or G- just coming from the dj yeah world. and so you're basically setting the tone for what their live show's going to big be big time like. and yeah. granted now these guys had a great vision for what they wanted to mm-hmm. do um but you know and and you know and Troy too, Chainsmokers Troy. Um, I'm blanking on some of my other clients, but you know the the bands that are more that have that come from either EDM or more laptop sort of computer mm-hmm. production, where there's a lot of manipulation on the computer, and it's not so much a, a guy sitting there playing a guitar. That's a real that's a challenge as an MD to try to figure out how you're going to make that come to life on a stage without just pressing the fucking space bar. Yeah. And because and that's the thing that Chainsmokers really wanted was, you know, they were getting ready to go do an arena tour. So we had this massive production and, you know, you name it. I mean, it was a yeah. it was an incredible show. But figuring out how to make those songs come to life with real people on stage really performing and really yeah. playing instruments was, you know, a bit of a new challenge for me because I'd sort of come from more doing... Um, just stuff that's guitar and bass and drums and keys and yeah. you know more more traditional t- like traditional four piece pop rock band. rock yeah. yeah exactly you know a few background singers that kind of thing um, so getting into like stuff with Troy or the Chainsmokers has been really eye opening to me and 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 now has made me want to investigate like okay how do those guys make those records how are they making those sounds what are they doing yeah like like understanding how the how the sausage is made totally uh, to then take that sausage and show it to a bunch of people exactly because it's a different thing you yeah. know like i like if i put on you know if um whoever i don't know the foo fighters called yeah. me and dave was like hey stace we want you to md the show that's something that you know, I don't have to do any research. Yeah, you don't have to even really think about I know, it. Yeah. I know they're using Marshalls or Mesa Boogies or yeah, AC30s, yeah. and I know what drums Taylor's playing. And, you know, I know I know that. That'd so, be more probably overseeing, too. Totally. And just giving minor adjustments totally. than a full-on, like... But, like, somebody like Troy or, or Chainsmokers, their music is so different than what I came up with and what's sort of comfortable to me mm-hmm. that I really enjoy working with them because it really pushes me... In a direction, you know, I have to really like take a look under the hood and see what's going on. Well, I mean, if you compare it to producing, it's like if you're only producing traditional rock bands, then yep. you want to produce a DJ. That's it's a it's yeah, a totally it's different completely thing. Completely so different now, learning you know, curve. So now I know how to now I know how to do a lot of that stuff, and uh, that's what and that's one thing I do spend time in here doing when I'm putting a show together. Because I create all the interstitial stuff generally mm-hmm. on a show. So show intro, you know, segues, however, whatever we're doing, you know, in the middle of stuff, um, I, I make right here. And yeah. so I have to, that music has to sound like the artist. Yeah. So, you know, it's I can't be like, okay, now we're going to do this interstitial. And it's like, jun, 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 on, on a guitar. Like, yeah. You, know, yeah you, have, like, you have to mimic that. Yeah, I have to mimic yeah. that. Or I have to take their elements of a song that we just finished and turn it into the next song. Mm-hmm. And so you need to know, I need to know how to sort of speak their language. And so that's something I've really enjoyed. That is something I yeah. guess I've been analyzing and being obsessive yeah. about. Um not so much the songwriting, I guess. Yeah. More production now. I don't want to jump too far back, but you said interstitial. Yes. 
I don't know that word. What? <laughs> you know what? Like, I con- contextually, I know what it is now. Yeah. But I never heard it used. You know, it's a. You know what? Me neither. And I think it's now part of my vernacular, based on just this MD world that I live yeah. in now. So it's a theater term. I think it comes from a theater term, and it just it means like. Uh, well, I actually don't know the exact definition, but in the in between. Yeah. So. Like in between one stage and one another, song another and stage. The next yeah. Song. Yeah. And so, you know, like somebody like Miley, who does six costume changes over the course of a 70-minute set, when she runs off the stage, I have to figure out a way to keep the audience entertained. Yeah. And I try to keep those moments to like – I have found that a minute 30, minute 40 is is about as far as you can push it. With before the crowd gets really bored, yeah. that's what it feels like. Yeah, because they they came there to see her. Yeah, so they don't care that we're up there ripping it up. They don't yeah. care. They you know the screens, all of that stuff. It's all it's all it's all candy and bonus to them. They just want to see her. Yeah. So so yeah so like those those moments of those interstitial moments are can be really challenging. Yeah. To to try to keep the audience's attention when the star of the show is gone um and so anyway back back to that's that's what i see yeah. and do a lot now <laughs> it's, yeah. and it'll take you know show intros you know those i can i'll spend a week making a show intro in here i'll come in here J- just the audio just the the thing you know yeah. whatever it is and this year i've really i've really been pushing myself lately to not do and i haven't i'm really proud to say the last like six, seven tours I I put out, I haven't done the typical lights go out, oh yeah, low rumble, you know, yeah. and all that. Like I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I'm trying so to inno- innovate out. on. I'm trying yeah. to do move forward and do some different stuff for that. Um, that's that's really effective, by the way, and and it's and it's still cool. And there are moments in the show where we actually do that, maybe as an interstitial between certain songs but yeah. not the show intro so yeah I'll, I'll sit i'll sit in here for eight hours a day creating a one and a half minute piece yeah you know until i get it exactly right and then of course i bring it to the artist and then if they're like yeah then i'm like fuck back to the drawing board <laughs> yeah. and yeah. uh and so that's yeah, that's something i didn't think about with, uh, as an md that's that's part of the gig well that's part yeah i guess when oh, on the on the big scale. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I do it for everybody. I do it for even. Well, I guess. I I think if you're, like, even if you're an opener on a on a on a tour, mm-hmm. you should come out like you're a headliner. Yeah. You should have you should have a show. If especially if you're going up, if you're opening for, for, five seconds, right? They they have a f- massive show right yeah. now. Yeah. And like it's it's it pummels you. Yeah, it's great. Um, so if you're the opener, and I'm not saying this is no disrespect to the Aces who are opening for them right now, they are wonderful and they're kicking ass. But if if the Aces had hired me to be a musical director for them, and and come to me and said, "Well, we're opening this," I'd be like, we, "Let's treat this like you're the headliner. You're just showcasing yeah, yourself. Let's, yeah, let's have a show intro. Let's have interstitials." You know, if you're using playback, which 99% of acts do these days, mm-hmm. you can really create cool segues between songs rather than just like, hey, good to see you guys. Here we are. Boom. Start the song. Stop. Stand there. Tune. Yeah. Talk. Play the next song. Yeah. Stop. Tune. You know. And it's funny. There are I get, I'm getting more and more calls now from bands, not, not just... Um, like pop star solo artists. Yeah. I'm getting a lot more calls and bands are starting to reach out to me and say, Hey, we want to, we want to take our show to that level. Yeah. And that's something that I hope I'll get to do more of because, you know, I come from that world. Yeah. It's a cool marriage of the two worlds. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so like I've been getting, you know, I've had some, some bites from some of the bigger pop punk acts that are out there, mm-hmm. you know, going right now that have reached out and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I would. That's and then they're cool. like, well, we're not playing Staples Center. We're playing the Fonda. That's okay. 
Yeah. You don't. We can still do really cool shit at the Vonda and pretend you're at the Sable Center. Go big. Yeah, make the performance as big as you yeah, can always. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As big and as theatrical as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much we can do now with computers and and sending time code, you know, to 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 everybody in the house so the lighting and everything's video up. screens, everything is synced and it just looks fucking rad. And you can do it on a club show and make the troubadour feel like the Greek. I I have a lot of friends who have been well, I have a friend who sets up lighting rigs for people with their ableton yeah totally stuff yeah and he's he's turned down a lot of work it's really funny when it's like he's like yeah this man asked me to go out on tour with them doing lights and i was like i can just set up a rig and you guys can do it yourself right and he's just basically eliminating that job for you can him. but but he's yeah. just he's like it's just better for everyone it's it, like i just keep doing this because yeah. then everyone can yeah yeah but you so know he doesn't have to tour but then you can have that so that so let's say you have an Ableton rig and you've got your own you, – you do have some lights you're carrying and you mm-hmm. have it all synced up. You can you can also – so you have your songs that are obviously you know time-coded and everything, but your interstitials can be time-coded as well. Yeah. So the, the possibilities are, are endless. Well, in AWOL, we – it's the first band I've played in in a while where we don't use any tracks. Right. We, we have an incredible keyboard player. Yeah, that's can, awesome. Like, cover that because yeah. he's got – some analog keyboards and then some MIDI stuff. Yep. But we we've just been doing no tracks with this with the new lineup, yeah. which is really fun to play theaters. Or we're going out opening up for Twenty One Pilots. On, uh, we're leaving Monday. And I'm Is really that a show sp- intro. Uh, do they? Do, do we? You? I don't. <laughs> what do we? We usually. I wish I had met you last week. <laughs> <laughs> we have. What well, what we typically do is we have like an intro song that we walk out to, right. and then we. We build it, you right. know, ourselves yeah, yeah. on stage. Yeah. But I am really excited to see. I've never seen Twenty One Pilots, but yeah. it's an arena tour, so yeah. I'm stoked to see how they how they do it with the two guys for yeah. you know an hour and a half on yeah. stage yeah. and cover it all. Because obviously they have a lot of tracks. Totally. But what do you have potentially coming up that you're excited about? Um. Well, coming up, I've got um, still working with Troy a lot, mm-hmm. which has been great. Um, I've got, uh, I'm doing these gigs with American Hi-Fi and Letters to Cleo next month. Yeah, it's funny we didn't even talk about American Hi-Fi at all in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but, I mean, but, Hi-Fi is such a, you know, it's such a, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, like, I'm so fortunate to have as a thing. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it takes up 2% of my life. Well, that's the crazy days. thing to have a, a band that had like immense success in the early 2000s. Yeah. And you were the lead singer yeah. and guitar player in yeah. the band, right? That's right. And it's not even, doesn't feel like the biggest part at all of your career. Definitely which not. Which is crazy. <laughs> I know. It's like you, you've I done know. all these other massive things. I and know. it's like, oh, yeah, I also had a band that like reached success that people dreamed about I know. when it happened. I know. I know. Again, I feel so fortunate. Um, these days, Hi-Fi is kind of like just our our club, and you know we do one, two, three, five shows a year. Yeah. At this point, you know, last year we did a warp tour thing. That's fun to have. It's great. So this year we're gonna play these gigs. So this might sound be a really weird question, but did you guys play with Lit? Yeah, all the time. Because was that like the same ish kind of time? Totally. We We just did a show with them like uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, those guys are awesome. I was trying to interview AJ, but they got there late, and so I'll do it when I get back from this tour. Oh yeah, I go way back with those guys. Yeah, Hi-Fi was part of that like late 90s early 2000s sort of pop punk world yeah slash alternative so yeah we, it was like all three i couldn't it say was, it was like <laughs> we we kind of you know we would we toured with um good charlotte some 41 we toured with uh you know we would be on festivals with like foo fighters and lincoln park and warp tour um but then we also fell into this other world of like uh, Flavor of the Week started getting played at Pop Radio, out of the blue. Yeah, and I I could I I might be wrong, but I think Flavor of the Week was one of the first kind of pop punk things to really be a hit at at Pop Radio. I think after that, then you know um, it opened the door. It a little opened bit the more. door, and like Bowling for Soup, you know, had a big hit at Pop, and um, 
and you know good charlotte and and those guys were already kind of crossing over a bit too yeah but flavor of the week was really one of those things where a lot of that stuff a lot of good charlotte stuff though like sounded to me like it was pop that was maybe it was like pop first and but in the lane of pop punk they were already kind of in that in that lane exactly we were sort of coming from really more the alternative world in a way um, and then sort of com- coming into like the warp tour land. And then all of a sudden we started getting played at pop radio and we literally would play a show. I remember we played a show at, um, RFK stadium with like Foo Fighters, Lincoln park, um, you name it, that the, the, all the mm-hmm. rock bands of that, of that era. And then the next day we played in DC at a pop thing with like, Christina Aguilera. Wow. Yeah. Dream. You know, the, the girl group Dream. Willa Ford. You know, and like, we were just like, what is happening right now? And it, and it actually, it was an interesting time because once pop radio started playing us, we started selling a lot more records. Yeah. But we, you know, and our, the song blew up, but then alternative radio stopped playing us. And sort of turn their backs on us because they were like, "Well, you now you're yeah, you're pop, you're now. pop now. Yeah, you can't have both." And we were like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we never asked for this." Yeah, we did, I mean, and so and I don't regret. Yeah, it. it's not like we sold out. They just like it too. They like, <laughs> you know, and it was so weird because they like did it's their, the same song. It's the same song, <laughs> but they did their own like they sped it up. Oh you know, really? Like we heard it on Z100. And we're like, I'm like, I sound more like a chipmunk than I normally do. Right now. And then we realized, like, it was sped up. They did their own edit of it. And, and so we we're just like, what is going on here? Yeah. And so we ended up um, we ended up kind of getting fucked because we sort of lost some of our, our core, who we, who we came up with. Mm-hmm. And, but then we gained all the, this pop audience. And, uh, but never really got a foothold in either. Yeah. You know, so we didn't become Maroon Five. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, clearly. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> so if you don't go all the way, yeah, then you're just stuck in the in we were between. Totally in 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 between. Yeah, um, which is like Maroon Five or Kings of Leon, even where like I remember in an interview, I think Caleb was saying, like, f- like what was it? Use somebody. He's like with the single like Use Somebody. We we lost one fan for every five fans that we right. gained. Absolutely. Same. We I feel yeah. the same way about about us. So. Um, anyway, in retrospect, I'm very happy with the career that Hi-Fi has had. I'm very fortunate to be able to, um, still do stuff, you know, totally on our own terms. We just play gigs when we want. And, you know, we get asked to do things that are pretty cool. Last year we did this Warp Tour cruise with like Good Charlotte. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. It was awesome. It was great. That sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, you know, the guitar player from Face to Face was standing in the audience for one of our shows one night, like singing along to like (laughs) just all of our songs. That's fun. And I was like, okay. And AJ was actually in the audience. Oh, really? And he came up to me after the show and was like, dude, did you see the guitar player from Face to Face? He loves you guys. I'm like, (laughs) that that, that was worth it right there. Yeah. You know, it was totally worth it. Um, But so, yeah, so I've got some Hi-Fi Cleo stuff. Then I'm kind of like, you know, typically... December is pretty slow for me usually, unless I go out on the Jingle Ball tours, which are like the big pop, iHeartRadio things. Yeah. Um, which right now I I don't think I'm going to. So. Uh, which is so, basically the big version of what alternative rock stuff, where like we go and do all the Christmas shows. Exactly. In December. Exactly. It's like the yeah almost the pop version of that Christmas. Yeah, it's the pop version of that, and you know they do like 17 cities in the U.S. And it's usually the same people on it for the most part, you it's know, a circuit. revolving. Yeah. And you do, you know, a headliner does five songs. That's a short set. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so I don't think I'm going to do that this year. So, so January, I'll probably, um, yeah, I've got a couple, I got a couple good things on the, on the horizon. Awesome. That I am not at liberty to discuss. Oh, all right. Cool. Well, <laughs> well as they as they come as they reveal themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I you know, again, I'm really I'm really lucky that you know, my phone continues to ring and and I get I do get to pick and choose a little bit. Yeah, being able to say no. Yeah. is, is pretty cool. It is. It's really cool. And yeah. I'm I'm very fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, to be yeah, to be in this industry and turn down work is I guess where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. What? I'll I'll let you get back to all the business that you're conducting here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but thank you for letting me come in and and pick your brain about Dude, all this it's stuff. Been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Well, I'll see you around. See ya. <laughs> all right.